Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brennan will be teaching out of the book of 2 Thessalonians. All right, uh, before we jump into uh, 2 Thessalonians, I want to share just something here this evening. I got to be careful how I share this because there's always that fine line between how you communicate something and whether or not a certain aspect of your heart and your frustration comes through versus not wanting to come across as angry, okay? Um, That's a wonderful way to preface this, right? You've got your attention now. Here's the deal, guys. You know, I don't shy away from sharing this. I'm not on social media. You guys know that, right? Not on any form of social media, unless you count Pinterest as social media. And yes, I am on Pinterest, okay? The way it works still kind of wigs me out, but there's some interesting things on there, okay? Here's the deal. While I may not be on social media, sometimes I do go on there. And I was on there today. And let me tell you, there are a whole lot of fools on social media. There's a lot of foolishness on social media. And there's a lot of people, and I want to be careful I say this, because I'm not talking at one of you. There's a lot of people within the church that are acting like fools on social media. The church, capital C, and even sometimes this church. Now listen, I understand what I'm sharing tonight may not set well with some people. This is one of those I don't care moments. Who are you? And again, I'm not talking to one of you in this room. I'm not talking to one of you who's watching online. I'm talking to all of us. And right now, for the sake of the argument, I am talking to the body of Calvary Chapel Northeast because I don't have control over another church. I'm not a pastor of another church. I'm the pastor of this church. And by golly, we will have a standard at this church. And that standard is the Lord Jesus Christ. We are called to be ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are called to look to Him as our example and Him alone. And I'm not saying, and in case anybody's like, I got to go on social media and I got to find out who the fool was that put something crazy on there. I'm not even saying I saw stuff today that was just like, whoa. But what I have seen on social media as as I've been just looking through is a whole lot of people that I think are forgetting that this world is not our home. We are not of this world. We are not about this world. This world is not our home. And I don't care if you have... 200 followers or a thousand followers, maybe you can come talk to me if you're at a million and you're considered an influencer. And forgive me for sounding so frank, but unless you're at that point, the fact is your opinion doesn't matter. And we are spending far too much time trying to share opinions on platforms that I'm 99.9% confident that, that most of that time, or maybe I should state that differently, that, that 99.9% of the time, Your comment, your opinion, what you post, what you share, had zero effect. Here's the deal. Just this last week, and in fact this week too, somebody said something that I heard about that I didn't really like. I didn't think it made sense. You know what I did? Do you you know what I did? Get ready. I called them. Right here. Put in their number and I call them. Talk to them. In fact, one person I even said, can we meet face to face? You know, I saw a bunch of people on there that I don't really know them. They don't really know who I am. And I didn't agree with what they had to say. Do you know what I did? Nothing. Because I don't know them and they don't know me and they don't care. So if I share something, they're not going to care. They're going to disregard it. We are spending far too much, and I get we live in a culture right now that is increasingly polarized. It's getting worse. Right now, right now, like, and I mean by right now, I mean kind of the week that we're in, even. It's worse than it was three weeks ago. Some things may have settled down a little bit, violent uh, acts in the community and things like that that were accompanying peaceful protests. We haven't seen as much of that the last couple of weeks that's sort of calmed down a little bit. I'm not making an opinion about any of that stuff. I'm just saying certain things we've seen kind of calmed down. But the fact is, I do. it's my personal opinion that right now things have gotten worse and they have not gotten better yet. My prayer is that things get better. My prayer is that people continue to work together, communicate, figure things out, advocate. 
But what I'm telling you tonight, and, and I'll stand by my opinion on this, and I know people will disagree with me, the progress that is being made, any progress that is being made is not being made via social media. It's not. There's no discourse. There's no dialogue. And most of the things that I'm seeing, especially if I'm seeing believers that are posting things, it has nothing to do with the gospel. And I'm not saying what they were saying was necessarily antichrist, though in some ways, perhaps, because we're, not also, we're also not being discerning about things that we're, that we're attaching ourselves to. And so I'm asking you, and again, I, 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 did I see some people within this church? Are some people going to go, man, is he talking about my post? Maybe I am, maybe I'm not. If I am, I'll have a conversation with you offline. And you don't need to be like, oh gosh, I'm in trouble now. I'm going to come to you and I'm going to say, I love you. Can we talk about this? And so I don't want anybody sitting here going, oh, he's, he's talking to me right now. I'm talking to all of us. I'm asking all of us to dig deep right now and to say, of what world am I a part of? Who do I represent? And what is the best way for me to demonstrate the love of Christ towards other people? And if you're really doing that, if you're allowing the Lord to really to, to speak to you and honestly evaluate that, my guess is very, on very few occasions will, will that result in you saying, I'm going to put this on social media right now. If you're putting scripture out there just from the standpoint of it's, it's evangelistic and it's, it's, it's scripture that's intended to just communicate what God desires, what he, how he loves us, well then I'm not going to argue with that. If you're going on social media to watch an online devotional, Tuesdays, Fridays, 10 a.m. I needed a little levity at the moment. But guys, otherwise, let's be circumspect. Let's be discerning. Let's be thoughtful. And please, listen, I get, I get that I get to stand up here and say this, right? But I recognize I don't have a voice that reaches the world. Let's not think of our opinions so highly that we assume that it's what's going to change the course of something by posting it online. Let's have a real dialogue. Let's reach out to people directly. Let's communicate. You're going to do far more by sitting down and having a face-to-face -face conversation than you will by posting something that 200 people see. You, you stand a far better chance to change the heart and mind of one person if you just sit down and talk with them. And chances are it will be a whole lot less contentious than what it comes across as on social media. Because when we're face to face, we can't help but recognize, man, we're humans. Let's respect one another when we sit down in that setting. And so I'm burdened for this. I'm, I'm, again, I'm not, I'm, my blood pressure is a little high today because of it, but I don't think I'm angry. I'm burdened over it. I truly am because I want us to be an example in our community. And so I'd ask you to just pray about that and uh, consider that. And the next time, you know, think before you post. There's probably an ad out there somewhere. Truly give it some thought and submit it to the Lord and say, Lord, is this what is this honoring you right now? So I'd ask you to show me some grace on that if there's frustration there and that you just take it to the Lord and allow him to speak to your heart about that. Okay. Let's turn our attention to his word. Uh, in 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2. Okay, let's go ahead and, uh, let's go ahead and read this together and then, let's, and then we'll pray. Let's read the first 12 verses. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And when the lawless, and then, excuse me, the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now let's pray once more. Father, this is your word. Lord, we thank you for it. Uh, 
Help us, Lord, in our study of it here now. Give us understanding, Lord. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear that we might apply this to our lives, Lord. For we know that in the time in which we are living, Lord, we need, we need to have a good understanding of these things. Uh, for it will motivate us, Lord, and, and uh, stabilize us, Lord, and uh, accomplish so much for us, Lord, in how we live our lives day to day. And so, uh, Lord, do that work in us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if we think back to the beginning of, of this book in the, in, the, in the first chapter here, there was an encouragement that Paul gave to this young church here. This is a second letter that he's written to them. Remember, uh, he had written this second letter pretty close to the first letter as word got back to him of additional questions that the church had. And in the first chapter, he really spends time encouraging them about the persecution that they were enduring, uh, reminding them that God would bring judgment on those who reject him and on those who persecute his church. And so the first chapter was really really a way for Paul to say, I'm proud of you. Keep it up. Keep it going. You're doing well. Uh, keep pressing on. And even reminding them that, that God allowing this in their life was to serve a purpose, that he does work all things together for good, that uh, he chastens them, those whom he loves, that the, the, the fact that they were enduring persecution, that they were going through tribulation, that they were facing trials shows that they were being counted worthy to suffer along with Jesus, as it were. And so the whole first chapter was really an encouragement. And then we come into chapter Two, and this is where Paul then begins to deal with the, the struggle that they're having or the questions that they have, okay? And so Paul deals with the primary purpose of his, of his writing to them here in chapter 2. And what he wants to do is to address false teaching that was circulating in the church about the end times, specifically the events of the tribulation. This is why Paul's writing to them. What we have, this is a short book, three chapters, and chapter 2 is really the meat of why he was writing this letter. Now, remember, Paul is dealing with aspects of the end times in, in both of his letters. In the first, he dealt more so with the rapture of the church. And then here, he's going to deal with the tribulation. Now, what's clear based on these letters is that Paul had provided ample instruction when he was with them on the events of the end time. What I mean by that is in the three weeks that he spent in the church, he didn't shy away from teaching them about eschatology, teaching them, here's what's going to happen in the end times. And we know that because in their follow-up with him and in the way he's writing these letters, he's having to give them some additional detail, fill in the gaps for them a little bit about... Uh, some of these questions related to the end times. And so even more so, I suppose, when we, when we read here tonight, as we read in verse 5, he says, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? He's giving us insight here into the fact that uh, he had talked with them about this already. So he's trying to remind them, remember, I've, I've spoken to you about this already. Now, remember, as Paul's writing this, he doesn't necessarily have the sense that this is going to become part of the canon of Scripture and be available to us today to be reading it. So he's writing to them specifically. Yes, he wants them to share the letters with those who are in the area and impacted by the teaching that was happening there. But Paul, if he was thinking, boy, 2,000 years from now, there's going to be another church that's going to be reading about this. We can assume that Paul probably would have said, instead of, hey, remember, I told you about these things. Instead, he'd say, let me tell all of you about these things, okay? And so we're at somewhat of a, I don't even want to say disadvantage because this is the word of God. This is what God intended for us to have. The fact is, we don't know all the details. We don't know everything that Paul shared with them. And so we can find ourselves wishing a little bit, oh, goodness, Paul, if only we could have your additional words that you shared with this church, it would clear up some of our own uh, confusion or misunderstandings. But we don't have that. We have what he shared with them. And we can, in fact, uh, gather a number of things from what he has written to them. So we know that Paul gave them a lot of information from which they could draw on, uh, which, again, we would love to have that information, but, but we don't. And, and what we see here is that this young church was really anxious. They were anxious about what they were hearing, uh, which was, again, that they were now in the, what they were hearing, what they were being told is, is that they were in the time of the tribulation, that the gathering of the church had either already happened or that it would happen later and that they were going to have to go through the tribulation. Now, if you thought you were about to go through the tribulation, the biblical tribulation that you read about in Revelation, specifically uh, in, in chapters really 6 to 18, if you thought, okay, I'm about to go through that, would you not be a little concerned, right? Would you not find yourself going, okay. Now, th I think it, we have begun to experience in our own culture today some difficult things. 
Even over the last couple of weeks, even, even as of the past couple of days, there have even been aspects, one could argue, of our religious liberty in this country being sort of uh, brought into question. There are things happening in our culture that absolutely can be cause for the church to say, I'm a little concerned right now. I'm a little concerned about what's going to happen with the church. There are certainly things happening that are causing people to go, man, we are not living in a time of, of, of peace. There are things happening in our own communities that are very difficult right now. Now, what we understand is the things that we're facing right now, as difficult as they may be, they pale in comparison to what's going to happen during the time of the tribulation. But if somebody were to tell you today that everything that we're experiencing right now is only going to get worse, increasingly worse, we would begin to say, okay, this is going to get hard. We would be concerned about that. And that's what's happening to this church. In fact, false teachers have come in and they've, they've even penned letters saying that they're from Paul, trying to convince them. And why? Because throughout history, people have wanted to sort of peddle their own doctrine and their own opinions, okay? Uh, for, for various reasons and personal gain and, and, and sometimes just because they're ill-informed and, and ignorant of things. But regardless of the case in this situation, false teaching had come in and it's creating a lot of anxiety for the church. And so we read then here in verses 1 and 2, Paul writes to them, Now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and are gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter. There he's referencing the fact that he knows there's a letter that's circulating as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. So he's, he's wanting to hit this head on now to say, don't be troubled. Don't be moved. Don't be soon shaken. As if someone has come to you and spoken to you, pretending to be us, they're, they're not. So, uh, so here he's, he's wanting to address right away, this is false teaching, you should not believe it. And I think here, just as a quick aside, what we need to recognize as believers is that false teaching, inaccuracies, false information... It creates unnecessary anxiety and it robs you of your peace. And so that can apply within the church. False teaching always brings terrible things upon the church, causes believers within the church to fear over things that they shouldn't fear about. Creates anxiety that's unnecessary. Creates worry that's unnecessary. False teaching does that. We've got to be careful with the things that we're ingesting as it relates to the Word of God. But this same thing happens in all areas of our life. You know, here I've talked to you about social media. Some people say, well, social media is the way that I stay informed. Listen, I am far from the standard on this, but I have a routine every day. Do you know how much I read every day? You may say, well, you're a pastor. That's what you get paid to do. Listen, there's some times, yes, where I'm in my office, okay? There are certain days where I'm doing a lot of reading. But, there's, but every other day I get up really early and I read. I want to read and read and read. And I have different news sites that I go to, the conservative ones and the liberal ones. All sorts. You can look at my phone. All these different news sites because I want to see what they're all saying. And I'm going to go to all of those. And then I'm going to listen to different podcasts. And I'm going to go to different sites and try and gather information. Me not being on social media does not result in being uninformed. We've got to seek these things out. We've got to seek out the right sources. We've got to, we've got to make sure. what Because here's what I would say. And I'm not going to make this whole thing about social media. But chances are if that's the source for your news then you are getting misinformation. You're getting misinformation on that venue. And sometimes it's very much intentional, not just ignorant. And I'm not talking about conspiracy theories here. I can bring Pastor Bobby up here on a Wednesday night to talk about some of these things. Okay, he's like Liam Neeson. He has a very unique set of skills. He knows things that we don't know. He can talk about misinformation and what different things are happening around the world, okay? Because when that stuff comes in, then it causes worry. It causes fear. It causes anxiety. And who delights in that? The enemy. That's exactly where he wants you. And so this is what was happening to them. And Paul says in verse 3, Let no one deceive you by any means. That could stand on its own. He doesn't want to see this church deceived. No differently than I don't want to see this church deceived if we're giving ourselves to these things in our culture. And then, of course, he goes on to then speak specifically now, saying, for that day will not come. Okay, so here, listen, he's addressing now the fact that they are concerned about the day of the Lord. Now, what is the day of the Lord? 
You guys remember? Say that again. The wrath, the tribulation, okay? Not to be confused with the second coming of Jesus Christ, but the day of the Lord is the wrath. It's the time of the tribulation. So he says, for that day, and this is awesome for us because how many of us want answers? We want to know. We want to have an understanding of things. He says, that day will, will not come unless. So that should clue us in. Okay, we got to pay attention to this. Unless the falling away comes first, one, and the man of sin is revealed to the son of perdition. He gives us right here two things that we as the church today can have confidence in and saying, even though things are getting really bad right now, because some people are starting to say, and yes, I've even heard it today, that we are living in the time of the tribulation and it's going to get worse, okay? But here's the thing. We, the tribulation will not come unless these two things happen first. And he then goes on to expound a little bit on the son of perdition in verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And of course, that is the Antichrist. We'll talk about him here shortly. So Paul gives us two key events to inform our understanding of the end times that we must consider, okay? But before we do, let's do a little bit of a review in terms of what gets us to this point. Now, remember that throughout history, you have really three people groups, if you will. Uh, You have the Jewish people, you have the Gentiles, of which we were a part of. Uh, But then because of Christ and establishing his church, you have then a third group, which is the church. You have the Jews, you have the Gentiles, or you could say unsaved, and you have the church the bride of Christ. Now, God's prophetic plan throughout history involves these three groups. Okay, pretty consistently, that's how you're going to, that's how you're going to communicate in terms of God's prophetic plan. Note here, Jew, Gentile, church. There's no political party being talked about here. There's no political party involved in the prophetic plan. He's not talking about Jew, Gentile, Democrat, and Republican. Democrat and Republican has no place in his prophetic plan. But yet, often today, we try and sort of align ourselves into those groups, and we think too often about our lives and our culture in terms of those two groups. And it's sad, really, because we've been sort of forced into this two-party system. There's no other affiliations mentioned here. What does that mean for us? What's the implication there? It means as God views his world, listen, as God views his world and all the people in his world, he is looking at his chosen nation, the Jewish people. He's looking at the Gentiles, the unsaved people, and he's looking at his church. That's it. We need to remember that. And so we are his church and we have a place in his prophetic plan. It's a wonderful place. And far too often, We find ourselves looking to other things to identify us instead of knowing we are a part of his church. Now, what of these groups? As it relates to the end times events, when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, because that's where we're at right now. We are in the time of the Gentiles, if you recall. In fact, you can go up and bring that uh, timeline. We are in the time of the Gentiles right now. Israel, uh, because of their blindness and turning the gospel towards the Gentiles, we are in a period where God is, is still working. He's still building his church. He's still drawing individuals unto himself. Yes, some are Jews, but largely this is the time of the Gentiles. And when that time comes, the fullness of the Gentiles comes, those who will be saved, uh, then the church will be raptured, okay? So as far as those three groups, the church is the first one to to be dealt with. This is the, comes with the rapture of the church. This is the first event, okay? And so right now, we are in what's called there the church age. We're in that little uh, pink, and then the tribulation, what are we going to call that, salmon? Okay, so we're in the church age right now. And, the, and, the, and this will be the first event. The church is going to be raptured, okay? Let's, let's refresh our memories on that. Let's, uh, uh, John 14 first, this is where Jesus uh, leaves, and he says, that I go to prepare a place for you. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know. 
and the way you know. Okay, this is John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. This is Jesus speaking of the place that he is going and the fact that he is coming again for us, for his church, because he has prepared a place for us and we will go to be with him. We will be with him throughout the duration of that seven-year tribulation and he will come with him again at his second coming. We read elsewhere of the rapture in 1 Corinthians in chapter 15, this wonderful passage in 15 verses 50 through 52. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. In the twinkling of an eye, that is how quickly our transformation will happen at the time of the rapture. And then, of course, probably our most thorough passage as we've recently studied in First Thessalonians in chapter 4, specifically in verses 13 through 18. I want you to hear them again, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. And so at this point then, the church is removed from the earth, and this coincides with Revelation chapter 4 verse 1. In the first three chapters of Revelation, you have Jesus uh, meeting with John uh, and then beginning to reveal uh, these things to him. He shares with him the letters to the churches, and then in Revelation 4, we see John brought up to the throne room of heaven, and uh, no longer is the church mentioned at that point until the second coming in Revelation 19. And so you see there the rapture at the end of the church age, uh, most notably in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4. Now, the tribulation or the events following the rapture are about the Jewish people and the Gentiles. This is the point of the tribulation. Yes, the tribulation brings a pouring out of God's wrath upon the earth, but that's not entirely because of judgment, uh, meaning that it's at the end of the tribulation where the true judgment seat will occur, the great white throne judgment. It's at the end of the tribulation when that occurs, wherein those who have rejected Jesus Christ will be cast into the lake of fire forever. Their judgment is going to be an eternity in hell. While tribulation may seem like the judgment, it is with a purpose. It's to be carried out on the Jewish people as well as the Gentiles at that time who have not received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior as a way to prepare them for the coming Messiah. Because remember, God in his covenant with the nation Israel wants to fulfill that. And so Israel has yet to inhabit the land that they were promised and to experience the Davidic throne being reigned upon forever by Jesus himself. And so the tribulation is intended to bring about their conversion. And so we know that there's going to be a specific number saved during the time of the tribulation that will then serve as evangelists to reach more to where at the end of the time of the tribulation, it says that there will be an innumerable number of those who have come to Christ that will enter into the millennial reign and will repopulate the earth during that 1,000 year period. And so, yes, there is hope that people will be saved during the time of the tribulation. But if you think sometimes today that it may be tough to say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior during the time of the tribulation, it's going to be a whole nother level, folks. It's going to be a whole nother level. And so the tribulation then and the, the events following the rapture, they are about that people group. And, and, that's, and that's the whole point of the tribulation, to prepare them for the Messiah to come again. Uh, in Matthew, and this is where Jesus gives us insight into this, in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, this is the Olivet Discourse. This, discourse excuse me. this is where we get a lot of insight from Jesus himself as to what's going on during this time, okay? In Matthew chapter 24, in verse 21, as it relates to the tribulation, Jesus says, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, never shall be, no, nor, nor ever shall be. He's saying it is going to be 
bad. So the tribulation itself will be a period of seven years. Okay, this is all building up to this, because remember, Paul had said that the day of the Lord will not come unless these things happen first, the falling away and the, the man of lawlessness or the son of perdition. And this all building up to that point. And so the tribulation is going to be a period of seven years. This will be the last seven years of mankind's history on this earth. Think about that. I don't know that we always kind of talk about it in that way, but the seven-year tribulation, that's the last seven years of earth as we know it. Before then, his second coming, before the second coming of Jesus Christ, okay? So that's what you have there in the tribulation. Seven years there, up until the second coming and Armageddon. That's the last period of seven years. This takes us back to Daniel and his 70 weeks prophecy. So the tribulation is the 70th week. Daniel gives prophecy of 70 weeks. So there are 70 sevens in total, 77 year periods in total, or 490 years. 483 of those years have already been filled, as you see there. 490 to take us to the end of the tribulation. Okay, so there's seven years remaining. Now, we refer to the tribulation, as I've already mentioned, as uh, sometimes the day of the Lord. We, we call it the tribulation, but in Scripture we see the day of the Lord. Uh, we find that in Isaiah, we find that in Joel, uh, but it's also known as the time of Jacob's trouble. Jeremiah refers to it as that, okay? The time of Jacob's trouble because this is really about Israel. Uh, the day of wrath. Uh, it's even referred to in Zephaniah as the day of thick darkness or the day of desolation. So there's a number of different terms we see in Scripture for this particular time. And again, as Jesus said in Matthew 24, 21, this is going to be a horrible time. And we have insight into this time, okay? Even in, in Revelation, in chapter 6, we have a pretty interesting uh, part of Scripture that gives us some insight into what this is going to be like. In Revelation, in chapter 6, verses 16 and 17, this is after the 6th seal is opened. Uh, let's go ahead and read 15 through 17 as well. It says, "...and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man," and these are people who are going through the tribulation, "...hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains." In verse 16, "...and they said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb." For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? That's going to be the mindset of many who are enduring this time, praying that the mountains would fall on them. Now, we have to have, and we are to have, a proper understanding of when and how some of these things will unfold. And, and that's why this young church was struggling with this a little bit. Okay, so let's go back to verses 3 and 4 where Paul says, it will not come until these two things occur. First, the falling away, and two, the man of sin, or the son of perdition is revealed. So Paul mentions the falling away first, so let's deal with that first as well. Now, because falling away, that term falling away, can be translated as departure, there are some that say that this falling away is actually the rapture. That this falling away coming first would be the rapture of the church departing, the church departing, and then the tribulation coming in. Now, that could be the case. I, I certainly can't say that I know for sure. Um, and if it were the case, well, then that would give us really, uh, that would solidify the case for a pre-tribulational rapture, right? Um, but I don't know that this is what we're talking about here. Uh, this word is, is probably better translated as apostasy, as some of you have probably read it before. It may even show up there in your Bible in your heading. And apostasy literally means the abandoning of a position. And when we take that term there, it's not, a, it's not a positive term. Apostasy is never a positive thing. And so that wouldn't be about the church leaving its position, but this is rather about somebody who, who left in a place that they should have remained in. It's actually a military term. And Paul's use of the definitive article in the original language here suggests that this is an event, okay, as opposed to sort of a theme or trend. I, I mention that because people say, well, there's, a, there's clearly a falling away that's happening today. There's people who are leaving the church today. I mean, it's, it, we don't go too long between instances where somebody will go on social media and say, hey, I believed in Jesus Christ my entire life, but I reject that. Now I've left. Okay. 
And so we see these things happening, but what Paul is suggesting here is this. This is going to be a much more major event. The fact is the church is still alive and well today. It's struggling in the United States of America a little bit, depending on what surveys you look at, what numbers you look at. Uh, In some respects, it's thriving in different ways. Certainly the church as a whole, especially throughout the rest of the world, especially in Africa, is doing incredibly well in places where they're experiencing persecution and uh, throughout the 1040 window and in China and India and and, in places in Africa. You see the church thriving today. And so there is not a, a, a broad uh, sort of high level apostasy that's occurring today, but we anticipate that it will. There will come a time when there will be a significant rejection of the church, at least as we know it, during this time preceding the tribulation. Okay. And so we are likely to see this major rebellion towards God and probably a significant decline in the influence of the church. And we have passages of scripture that give us insight into that, particularly in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. In 1 Timothy in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, we read, Now the Spirit expressly says, this is 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. And then probably the most uh, thorough passage, which I won't read the entire thing tonight for the sake of time, but we find that in 2 Timothy in chapter 3 into all the way into chapter 4 verse 5. I'd encourage you to read that there. So all of 2 Timothy chapter 3 in the first five verses of 2 Timothy 4. The beginning of chapter 3 may sound familiar to you as we read, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And he goes on here to describe different aspects of this particular time. And certainly as you read it, you could find yourself saying, boy, a lot of this stuff sounds familiar. And I think that gives us insight into the fact that we are getting close to this time. We are certainly in the end times. Now that's going to happen first, okay? The falling away, a great apostasy on the part of the church, rebelling against God. And then secondly, what's going to happen is the man of sin or the son of perdition will be revealed, and that is the Antichrist. Now remember, when both of these things happen, we are not here. The rapture happens first. The rapture happening in the church, the true church, the true bride of Christ being taken out should give us an understanding of how there can be such a rebellion against God at that time that so many would then fall away. Okay, so that happens and then the Antichrist will be revealed. Now, what of this Antichrist? Where where have we heard of this Antichrist before? Well, we get a lot of insight into the Antichrist in Daniel. Okay, and so in Daniel... Really, in chapters 7 and chapters 8, chapters 9, uh, we, we learn a good bit about the Antichrist. As Daniel there has the, uh, is tasked with interpreting the, the dream of Nebuchadnezzar there in, in Daniel chapter 2, and then later on we get more insight into the interpretation of that dream. Uh, in Daniel in chapter 7, in verse 8, we read, I was considering the horns. Okay, so this is part of him, uh, uh, this, is, this is King Darius, and he's, he's considering the vision that, that, that he has here, and he's interpreting it. And in verse 8, he says, I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. Okay, some of this stuff can be difficult for us to understand at just a first reading uh, of this book. But as we dig in and we study it, what we begin to find through cross-references in reading the New Testament and reading Revelation, we get insight. And here, what Daniel's speaking to here is the Antichrist. It's this little horn that comes up who eventually has a mouth that's speaking pompous words, okay? We read elsewhere in uh, Daniel in chapter 8, verses 23 through 25. Here he's, he's speaking about the Antichrist. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise, having fierce features, who understands sinister schemes. 
His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy fearfully and shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. Through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule. And he shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without human means. Okay, that is the Antichrist. We read also about him in Revelation chapter 13. Now there's a good bit we need to understand about the Antichrist and how all of this is going to come about. Okay, first, there's going to be a great world power that is formed. Okay, 10 key nations that will come together as uh, a revived Roman Empire. You thought the Roman Empire was gone. It's not. It will be revived again. And it will be a confederacy of 10 major world powers. We read about this in Daniel in chapter 2, as I mentioned, in that first vision that he gets there from Nebuchadnezzar. And you have the statue and the different materials that the statue is made out of. And eventually he works his way down to the feet and he talks about the 10 toes. And those are symbolic of the 10 nations that will come together during this time. As I read there in Daniel 7, actually uh, in a different verse, in verse 24, he says, the 10 horns are 10 kings who shall arise from this kingdom and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. And so there he's speaking of the 10 nations, the kings that are over those nations and the one that will arise from them, the Antichrist. As you're thinking about this, as you're thinking about a confederacy of 10 nations coming together, what you're likely thinking is a one world government. Okay. And this is where we get this from. This is where we, and where we anticipate that there will be the formation of a one world government. This is why, as you continue to hear talk about things like that, as you see on a global scale, plays for power and, and talk of, of one currency and talk of one government and all of these things. That's where you have people sort of coming out of the woodwork to say, this is it. It's happening, right? And it may be. Aspects of this absolutely may be. We don't know that for sure. What we can absolutely say today is that the situation is right for these things to begin to happen. Okay. Yes, the situation right now in our world is right for the formation of a one world government. We're not too far off at this point especially most of the nations around the world and their increasing disdain for the United States of America, who has long been the, the world power, to see something change, to see the United States diminished and other world leaders sort of come to the forefront and say, no more United States. We're doing something different now. Okay, You can start to see things happening that would make a way for this. And this then gives rise to the leader of the one world government or the Antichrist, which we see in Daniel chapter 7 in verse 8, as I mentioned, there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. And so the Antichrist will arise as this primary leader. And this leader will forge a peace treaty with Israel for a period of seven years. We don't know exactly what that's going to look like, if it's specifically spelled out as a seven-year period or exactly what those terms will be, but know that they will forge a peace treaty with Israel. I'm of the opinion that it will be, for whatever reason, a seven-year agreement, and, um, and this will certainly be a primary indicator of who the Antichrist is. In fact, if we read in Daniel 9 and verse 27... Daniel 9, 27, it says, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. So again, you've got there those seven years. Um, but in the middle of the week, if we're looking at this the way we have the other weeks, is a seven-year period of time, three and a half, three and a half. In the middle of that time, right there, three and a half years in, where you see the split in the middle, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Okay, um, or elsewhere in in uh, in First Thessalonians and chapter five, verse three. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. We considered that a couple weeks ago. And again, think about what's ripe for a one world power. It's just as ripe right now for people saying, I want peace, I want safety, right? I mean, that's, is it that far-fetched to think that right now in, in our world, 
that there would be people who are crying out saying, I want somebody, if somebody's willing to promise me and make a compelling argument for world peace and for safety, then I'm willing to follow. And so for us, now remember the church is going to be gone, but we can look at this and we can think, man, how are people going to be so duped? But this is one who's under the power of Satan, who, who, who is going to be very strong, very cunning, very deceitful, who's going to be able to lead people astray. Okay? Now this leader, as it mentions there in Daniel 9.27, is going to break the covenant. It's going to be a seven-year agreement, and three and a half years in, they're going to break the covenant. Uh, we see that then in Second uh, Thessalonians that we read earlier uh, in, chapter, in verses 4 and 5, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now remember, he's made a peace treaty with Israel, and so Israel at this point is going to recognize, oh, what have we done? And in verse 5 again, Paul says, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you, these things, okay? Uh, similarly, uh, Jesus said again in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, the abomination of desolation. Um, now, we've already seen a forerunner of this, a partial fulfillment of this prophecy in Antiochus Epiphanes. Um, and, and this was when uh, Israel was taken over and uh, there was a pig that was sacrificed um, and there was an image set up in the altar of the temple at that time just out of pure hatred for the Jewish people. And so the Antichrist, that was a form of Antichrist and the Antichrist will kind of follow in uh, Antiochus Epiphany's footsteps there. Uh, we read also about this for the sake of time. I won't go there in Revelation 13 again, specifically in verses 16 through 18. Again, read all through Revelation 13 to have greater insight into the Antichrist. And then this ushers in the last three and a half years of the tribulation. Now we need to understand that this leader, he's called the Antichrist because he is anti-Christ, okay? Uh, God establishes law, right? And God's law has governed um, mankind uh, since the beginning of time. The Antichrist is the lawless one, okay? God stands for creation. God creates, but the Antichrist is about destruction. Uh, God demands worship, whereas the Antichrist attempts to take the worship by positioning himself to receive it. God declares truth, whereas the Antichrist deceives. Uh, Jesus is revealed from heaven, whereas the Antichrist will simply be seen on earth. Uh, Jesus will come for his church, and the Antichrist comes in Satan's power, okay? Now look, in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, jumping ahead quickly, it says here that the coming of the lawless one, there's another term for him, is according to the working of Satan. Remember in Daniel, it said that he was not, uh, did not come with his own power, but he comes in the power of Satan. Uh, the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. This is who this man will be. Now, who is the Antichrist? Everybody's had their opinions, right? Some even say Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist. And every president since, and every presidential candidate since, even Jeff Bezos. There's currently a, there's a poll out there for him and being the Antichrist. And uh, people have all their different reasons. Here's the thing. We don't know. And we're not going to know. Because if you are saved, if you're part of the church, you're gone. Right? You're gone. Here's the thing. People spend far too much time looking and trying to figure out who's the Antichrist instead of looking for that next imminent event, which is Jesus the Christ. Right? So stop trying to look at all these other things and try and figure out all these other things when the Bible tells you, you look for Jesus. You look for Jesus. I don't know who the Antichrist is. Be. I have no theory about who the Antichrist is. I don't, and I don't know exactly when this is all going to happen, but I know that I am going to be gone first, and then these things will happen, ushering in the time of the tribulation, okay? Here's the other thing, though. 1 John 2.18. 1 John 2.18. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now, many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. We don't yet know who the Antichrist is, but there are many Antichrists who have come throughout history and especially now. And again, I, you know, I mentioned earlier that, that 
you know, even as it pertains to things that people are doing out on social media, it may not seem apparent that it is somehow unbiblical. But remember, as we give ourselves to the things of this world, as we invest our time, our energy, our resources into man-made things, into things that are, that are part of this world, be careful, be discerning, because many of those things are wolves in sheep's clothing. Okay? They are anti-Christ in nature. And so the only thing we can be confident in is to say, I'm staying right here. Even as, even as we read different books, wonderful books, we should read them with a perspective of saying, I'm reading something that is about the Bible. I'm reading something that is written by who I think is a godly person, but I'm going to be, I'm going to be uh, very careful about the things that they say and measure it against Scripture. Everything that we do, whatever we give our time, our energy, and attention to should be compared to the Word of God to see, is this truly worth my time, energy, and attention? Okay? So, what is keeping him at bay? Why isn't the, if the Antichrist, let's say the Antichrist is out and about right now. Let's say we're that close. What's keeping him where he's at? Well, Paul says, again, giving us further insight. Verse five, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Verse six, and now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. What is Paul saying here? He says there's, there's something that is restraining the Antichrist. Now note that Paul in verse 6 says, he refers to what is restraining him. And then in 7 he says, who is restraining him? He speaks then here both of a force and a person. Who do you know is a force and a person? The Holy Spirit. The restraining force is the Holy Spirit, both active in the world today and all through his church. And so the Holy Spirit is at work restraining evil. Now it says that when that is gone... Not that the Holy Spirit will be wiped out, but when the Holy Spirit steps aside and removes his church, there's nothing else restraining evil anymore. And so we literally go from the rapture to just chaos. So rest assured, no matter what our world looks like today, the church is still serving a purpose and you are a part of that church. And so we have, an, we, we have an incredible opportunity right now to be a part of God's restraining work in this world still today so that people can still receive the truth of the word of God and be transformed and be saved and be raptured with us before the tribulation comes. Because God in his infinite grace and mercy desires that none should perish, but that all should come to an eternal life. And we're a part of that. This is an incredible thing. But when we're gone, boom, everything changes quickly. And so it's interesting here because what is one of the ways that the tribulation is referred to? Not just the tribulation or to the day of the Lord, but also, as I mentioned from Zephaniah, the day of thick darkness. You remove the church from the world today in the power of the Holy Spirit and you remove the light. We're the light. It's the light of the world. We're to be salt and light. And when we're gone, there's darkness. Again, are we being that light? Are we being that light in a world that's on the edge of darkness? In verse 18, and then the lawless one will be revealed. So he'll be revealed. And, and so Paul's giving us understanding here now. But then how is he dealt with? How will he be defeated? He goes on to say in verse 8, whom the Lord, listen to this, guys. Whom the, you, again, I'm going to go back to this. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. Why do, I re, why, why do I look up what the end of the movie is all about? Because it just gives you such confidence. Because you just know what's going to happen, right? It's no different than what we see here. Whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Let me read that for you again. Whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Yes, he will remove his church from this world. And with that, the light and darkness will come over it for the period of seven years. And then a light like the world has never seen before will be seen by all men. And he will come in and he will destroy the Antichrist like that. Revelation chapter 19. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. 
His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written king of kings and Lord of lords. He's the one who's coming. And he will destroy, he will remove the Antichrist. As much as the Antichrist will deceive people and think that he is one, will attempt to stand up against the Son of God. He'll be wiped out. And so in verse 9 we read, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, this is a passage of scripture that often causes people to struggle a little bit with this. And if you tuned into our devotional or our Q&A time on Tuesday, we dealt with some of this. In fact, Pastor Jimmy mentioned in Romans chapter one, the way in which God says there that he turned them over. He he turned them over to their own desires because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And here people look at this and they say, well, why did God send them strong delusion? We must understand that God's plan has been uh, underway since the beginning of time, and he has sought after and pursued and desires that none should perish. But the fact is, there are some people, as it says here, who did not believe the truth. And so though it may seem as if somehow God is the one who is causing this, rest assured that this is accomplished by God's permissive will. That yes, he is a sovereign God, and it's difficult for us to sometimes reconcile his sovereignty and his providence with our own free will. But rest assured, those who receive a strong delusion do so by their own volition. They have gone that way. They have decided. They have chased after other things, and God has simply said, okay, here you go. And as Paul closes out this section of his letter, then he comes back to the fact that he's now given them what they hope, what he hopes, I'm sure, will be encouragement to them, that he's cleared up any misunderstanding at this point, that even though some of these things are still difficult for us to grasp and to really wrestle with, the fact is he's encouraging them that, look, these are the way that these things are going to unfold. And so what that means for you and what that means for us today, church, is that we are not going to go through the time of the tribulation. And so Paul, in encouraging them once again, says in verse 13, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you. Brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification, by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Note here the balance in God's sovereignty and man's free will. Not only has he talked about those who will go to destruction because they did not believe, but even here he says that God, yes, chose you for salvation, which we should think is absolutely incredible. We should rejoice in that fact if you're a believer today, that God chose you through sanctification by the Spirit, but also belief in the truth that you believed. And so, yes, he chose you, he called you, but you responded. And so here we see this balance. And for this young church that was going through a trial and life was hard, But here he recognizes that they were navigating it while remaining focused on him and bringing him glory. He was proud of them because they were going through this time and they were keeping their eyes fixed on Jesus, living for him, seeking to bring him glory. And so he challenges them. He exhorts them, stand fast, keep it up, keep doing it. And it's the same message to us today. We're going through some things. We're going through some trials, but it's up to us right now to keep our eyes on Jesus, to stand fast and to say, we're going to make him proud. We're going to live our lives for him. We're not going to be caught up in all the different things that distract us today. Now, there are many things that we are dealing with today, and we've dealt with some of those things here in the last couple of weeks as I've addressed these in, in, in some of my sermons and with some of you one-on-one. And, and yes, we're dealing with issues of biblical and, and ethnic reconciliation, and these things ought to be dealt with because we're experiencing much of it in large part because of the failure of the church throughout history. And so it's not to say that we shouldn't be dealing with these things, but there is a way in which we deal with them, and it's given to us in the Word of God. 
We don't use man's tools. We don't use this world's tools. We use supernatural tools, the word of God by the power of the spirit to transform hearts and minds. And he equips us to do that work. And so we stand fast. Let's keep going. Let's bring glory to him. We're representatives of him. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for your word. While yes, Lord, we admit we desire more understanding, Lord, we'd love to know more. We'd love to have insight into things that we're just not told in scripture. Lord, in fact, you give us much. And not just much, Lord, you give us exactly what we need. Lord, not too much that we'd be too heavenly minded. Not so little, Lord, that our hope would simply be on things here on the earth. But you call us, Lord, to be a people who are in that in-between. And Lord, it's uncomfortable for us sometimes. And so, Lord, we'd ask that you'd help us with that. To be okay in the in-between. To have comfort in the already but not yet. Lord, to be a people that desire to put roots down, Lord but knowing there's no suitable place for us now. Lord, you give us what we need in Scripture to give us insight into that which is to come. And you give us the gift of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that can empower and equip us to do the work that you've called us to until that time, Lord, when we can be with you forever. When we can truly know, Lord, what we were created for and where we were created to be. Father, encourage us in your word by your Spirit. And Lord, regarding all of the topics that we've considered here tonight, whether in Second Thessalonians, Lord, or in my own challenge that I put forth to us as a church. Lord, help us take it all to you, to bring it before you, Lord, and allow you by your spirit to do a necessary work in each of our hearts, individually and then corporately, Lord, that we would truly be a church that is about your business, that brings you glory, and that makes much of you, Lord, in our community. So, Father, I pray for all of those here tonight, Lord. Bless them, watch over them, care for them. Bring unity into our body, Lord, I pray. Work in us and through us, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.